You are listening to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss our RC adventures. If you're new to park flying, then thanks for joining us. And if you're already a pro, then welcome back. Welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of the new RC Flyer. Join your hosts, Michael and Jay, as they take flight at the park. Now on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Michael, and with me always is... Jay from the former AK. <laughs> you always use that Jay for the... we got to find something better for that, Jay from the former AK. I know, but like I said, now that I'm in Texas, I, I got nothing run, rhymes with Jay in Texas. I, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, Well, tonight we're going to do a little bit of house cleaning. We uh, had a, a comment by Doug Leroy, who is a president out at the Holly Springs Skyhawks Radio Control Group, which is just a little bit south of Raleigh, uh, Durham, South Carolina, or North Carolina, excuse me. And uh, shout out to those guys. They are uh, listeners to our podcast. We appreciate their support. <laughs> and uh, I used to live in Concord, believe it or not, Concord, North Carolina. I lived there for uh, for several years uh, before I moved to Phoenix. So um, I'm kind of a uh, Tar Heel myself uh, in a in a small sense of the word, probably uh, not as much as they are. But uh, uh, if you're out in the uh, Raleigh-Durham or somewhere around in the North Carolina area there, uh, make sure you give them a call. You can go to uh, hssrcg.org. That's the Holly Springs Skyhawks Radio Control Group.org and uh, get information from them. Yeah, I was just looking through their stuff and uh, they have a really nice, well-organized site. Yeah, I liked it. It uh, looks like they have a lot of fun out there. Maybe if we... Uh, ever get that direction we'll have to go out there and fly with them doug did comment on our fpv episode he did mention that uh, we had left some things out of our podcast and we wanted to uh, just kind of clarify that and we're uh, we're kind of taking tonight to to do that so we kind of shifted all of our episodes back one just so that we could jump in front of uh, them and, and kind of mention uh, doug's response and so we can kind of talk a little bit about it First of all, he, he brought up a good point that uh, we, we always are safety guys. We talk about safety in a lot of our podcasts, uh, but we don't really talk about the law or, or following the law, and we really should. And he brought that to our attention, and we appreciate that for, from him. And we do suggest that for every area that you're in that you do follow the law, um, and that's uh, part of being a responsible RC flyer, especially if you're a new guy and you're coming into this world, then uh, make sure that you check with your local city ordinances or the parks that you're in and see what, what you're allowed to fly, what you're not. In our FPV episode, one of the things that he mentioned was the fact that a ham radio license is required for most of the FPV flying. That is true. Yeah, so we failed to mention that earlier. I think there was some assumptions in there. Talking to Peter, he's been doing it a long time. and uh, I don't fly FPV, but I know Jay has dabbled in a little bit with some of the uh, smaller, you know, in the house kind of things. Right. I, I, I mainly flew some, uh, indoor stuff and, uh, right. when I was up and in Alaska. And so if you, uh, pretty much the FCC has a website. It is basically, I, I went on to, the, I went onto our website and made sure that we updated that episode. So if you listen to that episode, please go back to our notes, uh, our show notes. Uh, it has some good information in there. The, Ability for you to get a ham radios license. It's actually 
uh, not as hard as everybody makes it out, I don't think. Basically, there's several different types of licensing. And I think you're only responsible, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but I think you're only responsible for the technical, is that what they call it, the technician license? Yes, I think so. Let's double check. Yeah, I think that's what it is. You can take a 35-question test, and then you can basically get your technician's license, which allows you to fly all of the UHF and the VHF uh, frequencies, which I think pretty much covers all of the FPV, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And another nice thing is is that all the questions or most of the questions are you, – you can take the whole course online, you know, free online, do practice tests – all that kind of stuff, gear up for the test. And then uh, I do believe you go to a website and, and then that website will tell you, the FCC website will tell you a local area uh, in your within your local area where you can take that particular technical test. Uh, and you go in and I want to say it's like 10 or $15. Uh, you go in, you give me your money, take the test and that's it. And then they send you your license and your, and your call sign. Or I, I think you pick your call sign. I can't remember how that goes, but um, and away you go. Basically, the local uh, radio club administer the test. Then they send the results to the FCC, which then issue your amateur radio license. I think there's three levels of amateur radio licensings that are issued, the technician license, the general license, and the amateur extra license. The one you need for FPV uh, is basically the technician license. But anyway, we wanted to kind of touch base uh, or at least clarify that. Uh, Thanks to Doug for bringing that up to our attention because we – uh, we always want to make sure that we steer our, our newbie guys or, you know, those who are just getting started in the right direction. And if you're a professional already, then you probably already know it. I, I did go on to the ReadyMade RC uh, website. They do have a question and answer, uh, frequency asked, or frequently asked questions section. And in there it does say that typical of every business out there, it's the operator's responsibility to find out the law and you know, to conform to the law. Knowing that most people that sell the the products for FPV, unless it has a uh, an FCC stamp on the back of it that says that it's okay to use, uh, most of the time they're just selling you something. Bum, right, right, and that and that's one of the problems that that's kind of spewed up here in the past couple in the past couple of years is that uh like horizon hobbies i want to say they have a couple of like the tiny whoop and a few other little fpv stuff that they're selling and marketing which you don't have to have a license for and i believe they're that's because they're under 25 milliwatts and anything under I, i believe under 25 milliwatts you can you can operate without having a license or anything and the problem is, is that when people buy stuff, say from China or or just any place they see on the on the net, they get back a receiver that puts out say mm, two hundred to six hundred milliwatts, and so that starts being a problem because well now you're you're starting to you're half an amp you know <laughs> of power you're starting to you're starting to push out and and that can cause problems now. Because we've kind of switched to HDTV and some other stuff, I guess it's not as much of a problem, but you're still putting out way, way more power than you're supposed to have uh, without having a license. And that's where the problems you know, tend to generate right. from. Well, the FCC requires the FPV pilots uh, that, 
that are going to operate, they have to make sure that they have the knowledge and training necessary to operate the FPV system safely. And it's the same kind of logic behind the U.S. government giving you a driver's license, basically. They, you know, you can drive without a license. People do it all the time, but you're not supposed to. It's not the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been hit by exactly. most of those people. <laughs> so just that, you know, be responsible. It, it is the um, operator's responsibility to follow the law. We didn't want to suggest anything other than that. So um, once again, uh, Doug, thanks for bringing that to our attention. I think if you own a DJI Phantom or, or a Mavic or something like that, uh, there are exceptions um, because they're not using FPV goggles. They're using a screen. Somehow it's FCC compliant, I think, uh, according to their website. But once you start putting the goggles on and, and trying to use those frequencies, I don't think it has anything to do with the milliwatts. I think it's just the, uh, the, the actual FCC, FCC declaration of conformity logo that's found on your device. So if you have it, you're good. If not, look into the uh, website. Yeah, I think you can go to the ARRL.org, which is the uh, basically the, the website that you need to get your technician license, and you can research the requirements there. Now, we were talking about FPV and quads, uh, and we mentioned the Mavic, and you actually have some information on Mavic. I, I know here in uh, Arizona, Tom, one of the guys that flies in our park, he uh, also does some volunteer work. And while they were out doing the volunteer work at one of the parks, guess what they found? Mm, could it be a very highly expensive quadcopter, Michael? <laughs> it was. It was a, a DJI Mavic, actually. Uh, the Mavic had uh, been found in the park. Uh, which is, it's the Pinnacle Peak Park, which is just kind of a hiking area. And they brought it down to the the park ranger, which is what Tom volunteers to do. And they put it in the office. It had an FAA number on it, and there was a little bit of damage to it. But somebody obviously had been flying it around. I don't know if they got it out of range or, or if they were flying it in the park. I know there's some rules that uh, are associated with some of these parks that they are allowed to fly around or not allowed to fly around. Uh, but regardless, they found this thing, and Tom was worried about trying to get it back to its rightful owner because we are talking about, you know, roughly $1,000 plus shipping or whatever. <laughs> for the main And that's with no no upgraded parts or so, anything. That's just the basic. So let me get this straight. So they, they found this Mavic that was laying, or Mavic Mavic, laying around. They right. took it to the ranger, Rick. And uh, so they looked inside, and there, lo and behold, is the uh, FAA drone registration number. That is correct. Yeah, it was on the outside of it, actually. Okay, on the outside of it. But unfortunately, the guy didn't have his name and address, you know, and and basic information on the inside on a sticker as well. He didn't do, like, the no, AMA, like, recommends you know, putting your name on your craft. Okay. So offhand, I'd say this still would be pretty easy to return to the guy or whoever lost it. You would think, right? cause I've got a number, I can go to the <laughs> FAA and we all registered and just FYI for those of you that uh, follow our podcast, Jay and I both registered our, our products with the FAA. We both have FAA registered numbers. Uh, all my airplanes have the numbers inside them. I actually paid to have stickers made have my FA number, name, number, address, and they're they're stuck on pretty much every airplane inside uh, the canopy. So 
I put mine on the battery. That way, if it gets lost, they, nobody knows where your airplane is, but I know who this battery belongs to. <laughs> well, I'm hoping they'd be able to figure that out as well. <laughs> well, if it was a big enough crash like mine, you you know, you mentioned, I think, in an earlier part, or, you know, it mentioned once before that my battery departed when it touched, you know, when it hit the ground and the battery departed. So now my battery's in one place and my uh, airplane's in another. So. Yeah, it it usually turns out that it way. It was in actually. a lot of places, Mike. <laughs> it was in a lot of. I I don't think it really mattered to look for the, your name. Yeah, well, anywhere. I know the plane was all over the place. So, yeah. So anyway, we we go back to this Mavic that that Tom found. It has the information that we need, right? The the FA number, and so now we um, we just have right. to get in touch with the FA and find who the owner is. And and I'm sure on their website they must have somewhere you just type the. And you put your information in, and press a button and click. Like twenty uh, minutes later, no. you get so you get a phone call from the guy, right? No. Oh, yeah. Really? And you're being uh, a little coy because I know that you've uh, <laughs> you're trying to bait me, but <laughs> I'm not taking the bait. So the FAA basically their website to register it uh, is just that it's a registration, basically a database. However. As park flyers or, or RC guys, we can't access that database. I can't go in there and type in the information and find out who this quad hmm. belongs to. All right. Well, I could I could kind of see that, right? You know, you just don't want people randomly typing your name or typing numbers in and, you know, getting your information and doing nefarious acts, right? Because if I, if I, had, if I could type your name in or your number in or, or something and get your name and number together, I could write it in all my aircrafts and go crashing it into all the nuclear power plants and uh, World Trade Centers and whatever else I want to in the country, and they're looking for you, not me, right? Well, that's true, but the FAA does release information on airmen because I guarantee if you knew information about me, you could go on the website and find out, you know, all my all my real flying experience. Or right, now, now you're talking about real aircraft now. That's correct. Okay. So no, they, sure they have that information. Our listeners. No, but they have that information available that anybody, any Joe Schmo out there can go look. Um, they actually sent me right. a letter and, just recently that I, says they're going to release even more than that. Names, address, phone numbers. That's a little that seems ridiculous. A little, that, that seems a little much. But, I mean, the, the idea behind it makes sense, right? If I'm Farmer Brown and I say, hey, uh, this feller in this uh, 300 extra or something – Hey, was flying really low over my cow Betsy, and she got excited when he when he was buzzing her. Uh, but I got his tail number, you know, and he's able to report your tail number. You know, that's the whole reason, you know, behind the end numbers, right? Or along that lines, that you're able to you see something or something happens, or I'm in the woods and I see the end number and I call into you know that there's been a crash and this is the end number. You know, we can figure out who you are. Yeah, or I don't know. Owns, I don't know if it has. Any, I don't. I don't know if it has anything to do with the identification of who owns the airplane for reporting purposes. But I do know that the FAA requires you to register it, and that's the number that they give you to use right. because we use that number over the radio as an yeah, as identification no, no, exactly. for the radio. As identification, exactly. But not yeah. necessarily for Farmer Joe. You know, his cow gotten. You know. All right. Well, remember, I'm a former Air Force guy, so that's usually when we were getting calls. (laughs) Right. I understand that. (laughs) Except for 300 extra, it was a B1 bomber that was knocking cows down. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah, my cow got my cow got knocked over by a B1 or an or a B2 or whatever was flying low. 
Oh yeah. Exactly. So, uh, in case you're wondering, trying to follow along here, we we've lost this Mavic and, and Tom was nice enough to kind of send an email to all of us in the group and say, Hey, how do we go about putting, you know, getting this back to its owner? And Jay being the industrious guy he is says, Oh, well, you just have to jump on the FA website and look it up. And, and I think he, uh, rather than telling everybody what to do, he decided to follow his own advice and you jumped on there and started looking around and eventually yeah, wound yeah, up, so- you eventually wound up actually sending an email on, on our behalf. Well, no, right? no, 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 I, no, 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 I, I, uh, I tried to call before I sent an email. Oh, I got it. I, I went to their 1-800 number and I called their 1-800 number. And of course I went to 15 different places <laughs> and it's quite, there's like eight different choices. Every time you, every time you get to a, a point, there's eight different choices every single time. And you have to sit there and listen to all eight, you know, before you can decide. And of course the one you want, is like number eight. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's the way it works. So I, so I go through that a couple of times and I finally go, well, None of the choices were exactly what I needed. So I was like the other, you know, or if you have any other things, please stay on the line. So I get through all of that and then they go, well, we're, you know, all our operators are busy. So you're going to have to leave a message for us. So I left the message, name, number, a brief description of what, what, what the situation was. Uh, my, um, uh, gave my email as well. And Lo and behold, I figured, well, I won't hear from from a week. But actually, they got back to me the very next day, which I, I was quite surprised. You know, government worker, get back. You know, they actually got hold of me the next day. <laughs> the only problem was I wasn't really excited about their response, Michael. It, <laughs> yeah, the response, it was very I, you forwarded it to me. I, I don't know if I like their response either, but it sounded a little bit of a cop out to me. But maybe that's their it, policy. It didn't, it didn't kind of sound like it was a cop out, (laughs) you know, and basically folks, what they said to us was, Oh, you found, you found a drone somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, we're, we're glad that you contacted us, go to the nearest police station and let them know. And that was it. Yeah. That was their advice. I, Oh, and when I called them up, not only did I give them details of what was lost, I gave them the registration number, right? I gave them registration number and I gave my information so that if they wanted to contact the guy, he could contact me, you know, if he wanted to, and I could give him information about his quadcopter. But that didn't happen. That's what I thought was going to happen, but that didn't happen. They just said, oh, go to the police station and, and let them know and let them handle it. Yeah, turn it in, I think is what they said, right? Go, yeah, they said turn, turn it, it in. Yeah, go turn it to the police station. Which I'm not real sure what the police are going to do about it because – well, they, I yeah, mean, they, no, they don't I, have this, they have the same information we do, right? I mean, do they have a, exactly. do they have special no, permission well, no, to go to the I, FAA and actually ask them no. and the FAA will go, oh. oh, well, here's the perpetrator. No. Well, that, well, yes. If it was, if once again, if he had crashed that on the White House lawn, I'm sure that's what would happen. But in this case, to me, that's why it was such a cop out because they were, you know, if, if I was to lose something, well, where do I go? The police, uh, police station. Hey, I lost, I lost my cow Betsy. I don't know where she is. And I go to the cops and I say, hey, I lost my cow. Um, but in this you know, instance, you know, the guy, he's flying at the park. More than likely, he's not going to go to the police and say, hey, I lost my, you know, he might. He might go there and say, hey, I was flying over this place. I lost my quadcopter. Has anybody, if anybody turns it in, can you contact me? 
he's probably thinking the same thing. Well, at least if somebody finds it, I, I have my registration number in there. I, I, I'm almost certain he is. Because I would be. I'd be like, ooh, well, that really sucks that I lost it. But, you know, at least I got my information or at least my registration number in there. They'll get hold of me if they find it, hopefully. If, if you know, if they're honest, they, you know, they and they, you know, contact the FAA, they'll get hold of me. Yeah, but so, once again, if we're talking about the the law, the, the FAA registration requirement says you need to have your name, address, and phone number in there. As well as your FAA number. Are you sure about that? I don't, I'm, I, I'd have to go back and reread that. I don't think it says that. I think, of course, once again, that's what we do because that's what the AMA has stressed. But I don't think it says as a rule, you have to have your name, number, you know, you know your, your information in there. I think the only thing you're required to have in there is your registration number. That's it. And that's exactly what that guy had in there. Yeah, you know what? I Now that you mentioned that, it may be an AMA. I get the two confused. All I know yes. is I put them both in there because I was reading the law and the AMA part, and I, I try to do both. So uh, I, I have literally, like I said, little stickers that have the AMA or have my FAA registration number and then all my information. Your AMA number and your, yes. your, yes. your info. And now that you mention it, I think that is that, that did come from the AMA that said that this is this is mm-hmm. a good workaround, you know, to have it in there and put it in your airplane. So, um yeah, I can't remember uh, whatever the sticker site was. It was one of those business card sites, I think, that does stickers as oh, well. Yeah. And I just did, I did a bunch of stickers. They're just little, like something you put on a return envelope, you know, the little envelope. Yeah. yeah. So I just made those and just stuck them in everything, all over the place. They don't <laughs> stick to foam as well as they do balsa wood, but they still stick. So, and I, ha- you know, I well, have them there. I guess, uh, as you were saying, maybe just putting them on my battery is not exactly the best. So it should do like, uh, you know, when you have uh, metal, uh, when you have military tags, your dog tags, you know, put one on your boot, you put one on your, you know, one of your jacket. <laughs> right. In case right. you get separated. Yeah. <laughs> in case you get separated, there's at least <laughs> you know, there's a couple of them in there. If, so. if, if your leg gets separated from the rest of your body, you still Exactly. Know. Hey, we know whose you know? leg this is. That's terrible. It's awful. It is terrible. Uh, morbid guy, you. I know. It is morbid. Hey, well, Mike, so, I got to I got I to apologize to our listeners real quick. Um, I think in our last podcast or two, I, I might sound like I'm a little a little uh, in a in a hall. I mean, yeah, in, know, an echo, in an echo scared. chamber. I mean, I I think, yeah, the last podcast I think that we did, it was kind of echoey. Yeah, well, like I said, I have I have moved from my our, our my last house, which had a little studio type thing in there, and I I don't quite have one in this new house. So until then, you're going to have to listen to me in the Hall of Justice <laughs> until I get back there. Um, yeah, so we, we got to do something about your. Way. Yeah, we got to do something about your um, your studio because uh, studio shouldn't have marble floors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it bad? Is it bad? I don't think so. I think huh. so. Echo, 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 echo. <laughs> that- that yeah, yeah <laughs> so, that and you're in the great room, so you got to move. <laughs> the great room. Isn't there a closet yeah. or somewhere you can go and make it sound more studioish? So. Uh, believe it or not, there there's very few closets in this house. Yeah, no doubt. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule trying to get your studio set up to come talk to us. <laughs> um, no problem, guys. Yeah, no problem. So. Well, uh, so, while, else we got, Mike? while we're mentioning uh, names, I got a uh, response from uh, Scott Berryman. He's a friend of mine from Boulder, Colorado. He uh, listens to our podcast as well. We'd like to give a shout out to him. He 
he called me the other day and and kind of cursing our name because he said that uh, he he flies RC but he doesn't fly it as much as he as he should and listening to the podcast we kind of uh, gave him the oh, what do you call it we inspired him I guess to get we inspired somebody <laughs> oh I love that we did what did we inspire him to do uh, we inspired him is he to help the the poor children in, in a foreign <laughs> country learn how to fly RC or or is he going to uh, you know Donate money to uh, an orphanage for RC gear, or, or to the podcast? No, I don't think he's doing any of that. <laughs> uh, actually, I think he told me he was looking at uh, jumping back into the iMac world uh, and whoa, doing whoa, whoa. some uh, some. Whoa, 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 whoa! What? <laughs> we, we inspired him <laughs> not just to fly RC in his backyard. <laughs> I, I could go. I could probably you know believe that one. You know, flying <laughs> some something in his backyard. You know, or with the kids. Right. We inspired we we you and I inspired him to go back into the iMac world. Well, you know he's he's competitive, so I think that's a good uh, good competition. And he has some wow. iMac airplanes. So I, I, I wow, I dang, we are good. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I, man, we're gonna start doing a podcast and talking to my wife. You know, we talk her into some stuff we can inspire. Yes. That's awesome. Well, maybe we didn't inspire him, but Thanks, who Scott. knows? But Scott, we wish you the best Scott. of luck. Yeah, Scott, that's we right. wish we wish you the best of luck in the uh, <laughs> IMAC competitions if that's what you decide to do. Uh, we appreciate your patronage and listen to us and uh, hope that we uh, bring a smile to your face. And maybe one of these days I can get out to Boulder and, and call for him, you know, when uh, when he's doing the contest. Yeah, yeah. We're, well, heck, we're just going to have to have him on then. Yeah, we'll have to uh, give him a call and see how uh, how that works. So, yeah, Scott, when you do your uh, iMac contest, uh, give us a call. We'll put you on the podcast and uh, and see how you did. Well, Jay, now that we got the uh, house cleaning out of the way, kind of talked about some of those items. Uh, if there's anything that our listeners are concerned about, please make sure you give us a uh, comment uh, on our website, or you can email us at uh, parkflyerpodcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And yeah, let us know. Let good us or bad. know. Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking for uh, ways to improve it, uh, our podcast. And and if there's anything we're leaving out, such as uh, our comments on the FPV correction, please let us know. We we'd love to hear from you. I was asked. Actually, we had a guy at the field, and uh, I got asked about dual rates and um, an expo. Yeah, you don't need <laughs> Well, it's funny because I yeah exactly that was easy. Uh, actually, believe it or not, the last time I went and flew, I was flying the wing and I don't fly the wing with any expo or I, I fight with dual rates, but I don't fly with any expo. Cause you like danger. <laughs> That's why. And, and, and believe it or not, edge. I let Larry fly it. <laughs> and, and that was the first oh. thing Larry said was, wow, you don't have any expo in this thing. So tonight I, I thought we would take some time and talk about dual rate settings, how to properly program your radio and then what expo does as well do you do you use either one of those i use all, all the above but it took it, all of the above but it took me a little while to just fully understand what they were and how to properly use them so, so yeah, let's, let's start with the with the servo okay and the servo is is set up to where the little arm moves 50 percent or 100 percent one way and 100 percent the other way so let's say if the servo arm is set up and it's going to move 100% to the right, 100% to the left. And that is the throw. And and if at 100%, when it goes all the way out to its maximum stop, you're getting the maximum amount of torque. 
for the, for that servo. Okay. And so normally out of the box, the setting for the servo is typically a hundred percent. So the, what happens is that when you hook the servo in, when you move your stick out of the center, one way or the other, either left or to the right, then the servo is linear. It goes from the center all the way to the left to the stop on the stick. And now you're at 100% of your throw. So okay. if I'm moving left, it's a hundred percent. If I'm moving right, it's a hundred percent. Now the dual rate portion of it, if I go into the radio setting and it's usually under your servos and you go to the dual rates, then what I can do is. And, that, and that's correct. DR. It's, it's DR. You see something that says uh, DR. Yeah, mine actually says dual rates, but a lot of times on some of the small radios, they'll say DR. And so they'll give you a percentage, and that percentage starts at 100, and you can back it down. So what I would suggest doing is finding a switch that's close to your fingers. If you fly with your thumb and your forefinger, then your middle finger, ring finger, and pinky fingers are all kind of at the top of the radio, and they have access to switches that are on the top. So I would pick one of those switches. I normally associate it with the throttle, right? So if I'm moving the throttle or some guys associate it with the ailerons and elevators because they're moving over there. So one of those switches on the top corner of your radio, you're going to want to set to a dual rate. Now, I'm not sure how you do yours. I put all my dual rates on one particular switch. Now, I know some guys will actually separate their ailerons and their rudder and their elevator into three separate switches but i have other stuff going on and i i can fly with none yeah i i would say that it depends <laughs> i know that's uh, people hate that answer <laughs> it depends uh, you know what does it depend on it depends on what type of plane you're flying it depends on how many just like you said if 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 it's just a simple four channel radio yeah, then you can have it just on one switch or you can separate them all out depending on, you know, how sensitive the plane is or what it's supposed to do. Uh, if you have a plane that has 10 channels on it and it's doing 10 different things, well, then maybe you want to just have it on one switch to, you know, take off and landing. That's all you're using the dual rates for. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, so it just depends. That's such a hard question. You know, what do you want to use it for? You may need to have dual rate on your ailerons, you typically. But you don't need it so much on your rudder or, you know, or your elevator type of thing. You, or you need it more on your elevator for the pitch and you don't necessarily need it as much on the yes. rudder. But you, yes. you, can actually, <laughs> you can actually put it on all three control services. And I, use, I, I usually you don't can. put any dual rates on my rudder. And, and a lot of guys can get away with that because you need as much. I fly 3D, so I need as much rudder as possible. Right. If I go to dual rates to kind of keep that stability down – I still want 100% of my rudder available, so I usually don't do any dual rates. But let, let me go back to well, this this uh, yeah this throw. So if I take my dual rate percentage and I come off of 100% and I come down to 60%, if I dial the first, if I have a three position switch, my first position is on 100. That's a high rate. I have the second position on about 60 or 50%, that's a mid-rate, and then I'll back it down to, say, 35% or 40%, and that's a low rate. So what you're basically doing now is you're taking that stick, and as you go all the way out to the left or to the right, 
tour of your of the radio and you move that stick all the way out to the left that servo setting is either at a hundred percent throw or it's at 70 percent or 60 percent or 50 percent in the mid rates and it's at that 30 percent so now the servo won't travel a full 100 percent it's only going to travel whatever you've set in there and that's really what the dual rates are for and and why would you use dual rates you have a tendency to make the aircraft a little more docile. If you're operating for me, I'm operating the wing at an incredibly high speed. I don't want, yeah, I don't want a servo throw going a hundred percent. If I'm at, you know, a hundred miles an hour, it's, it'll be a very short flight. It, it can, it can damage the servo. Cause you're, you know, you don't need that much torque at the very end. It could damage the airplane. I've actually seen control services come off uh, the aircraft when people, you know, flipped over to a higher, uh, higher rate when they're going too fast. And it also pitches the airplane up at an incredibly fast pitch or down or down exactly where you are in the roll. <laughs> and therefore, if you have a full control and I, and I have 45 degrees of throw at a hundred percent, I don't want to be going super fast and then, you know, do 45 degrees of throw. Now the ailerons maybe because right. it'll just roll, but the elevator not so much. And then if you're flying aerobatics yeah. like like 3D like we do, or you're flying light foamies, uh, or any of those type of airplanes or jets or or EDFs, then you would want dual rates for the 3D, and you would want the low rates for high speed. Right. In which case you might even be going to like 120 percent or 140 percent depending on what your radio That's can do. true. I do have one or two airplanes that I can bump up the the controls to 125%. And I have done that if I needed more ailerons. Most of the time, if I pull up into a hover and the airplane wants to roll to the left and I run out of, you know, travel, travel yeah. bump it up a little bit so that I can keep that travel in there. But, but basically for a beginner, this is the problem that a lot of beginners have. They have it on 100%. They're not using dual rates at all because they don't understand them. They're the guys who really, really, really need to have dual rates. They need to have it at 50% or lower for their first couple of flights. And then as they get a little bit better or start understanding what's happening with the aircraft or can catch up with the aircraft, then they can start bumping their percentage rate up and start to understand the dual rates and how to yeah, use Yeah, and, and some of the guys I fly with, they uh, eventually – I think Phil does that. He, he has high rates – when I made in the airplane and then he has them set 50% of what I fly it. And then I think he has a little less. And when he flies new airplanes, he puts it in a very low, you know, throw setting so that it's a little more controllable. Even if he gets a little aggressive on the sticks, you're only moving the control surface about 20% of its actual travel. And therefore it, it has a tendency to be a little more docile and a little more stable in the air. True. True. But that's but that's not the full story, is it? Yeah, I was going to say. I will tell you though that if you have twenty percent or thirty percent throw, and you get yourself in trouble and you jerk the the stick back to try and evade the ground, your airplane's not going to immediately pitch up like it would if you had a hundred percent of the throw. No, it'll make a nice, slow, graceful descent into the ground. Yes. Poof. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's kind of one of the reasons why the low rates are for higher speed, higher rates are for low speed. So if I'm actually coming towards the ground, 
I would flip to the high rates so that I would have maximum throw to get away from the ground if I had to. But that's just me. Right. Well, you have a little bit more experience. I I wouldn't recommend it so much for a beginner because typically go 100% all the time, right? They're constantly banging the sticks off the sides. You know, you have to put bumpers on the sides of the sticks because they're banging them from right. one side to the other. They're coming in, coming in for a landing. You put it back to 100%. Bad news. At least right. from my experience for some guys, but... So once once again, I would I assign all mine to uh, the same switch, the one switch, and I can change from a high rate to a low rate so that my low rates are are two, the elevator and ailerons. I do have one or two airplanes that have a much faster roll rates that I have assigned for two two different switches. So one is the elevator, one is the ailerons. Once again, right. it's more for a three D type flying when I'm in a hover or when I'm inverted or doing something then i need a, either a slower roll rate or a faster roll rate uh, some guys that do rolling circles they they need more elevator than aileron or vice versa so they um you know mm-hmm. you can change it from one to the other but normally in my instance i usually fly 100 percent or better and then i have it all on one switch do you do the same thing or you you have it on two different switches well, because I, I, I don't typically fly 3D planes right. as much as you do. And so I fly, as you know, I like flying just a wide variety of planes. Depending on the type of plane that I'm flying, I may have several planes where everything is individually. I'll have like three switches to control the rudder, the elevator, and the ailerons. It does get a little confusing. But the reason why I do that, like, like you said, I normally have 100% of my rudder. The only reason why I have a dual rate on my rudder is because I have no steering. On a plane, I'll have a jet or something that has no steering. Of course, when you're on the ground, I need 100%. Uh, maybe when I'm in the air or cruising around at 100 miles an hour, I, of course, I don't need that. So I turn it down to a lower rate. So I, I definitely have a switch that I, I flip for that for changing the rate on that. But mostly, uh, I normally keep it on the aileron. I, I have a little bit more experience than most. So... I pretty much have it on just one switch, and it's just for the aileron for the most part on most, on most of my aircraft. So you fly a no dual rate on the elevator? Uh, no, it, not, not, not often, no. Even on your wings? Mm, the wing, I think I have it on both. Since, well, you know, it's a little different because the wing is uh, Elevon. Basically, it's the two combined. So I have it on, on both of those. So I, I do have it on both So gotcha. for that. So once again, if you're flying fast, you need a little less elevator probably a little more rudder. I mean, not rudder, but a- ailerons. You need, if you're flying fast, you need right. more, less elevator and maybe more ailerons. It just depends. It, it just depends, right. I think. Well, well, here's the thing, folks. You can go out and you can try it. And this is one of those things that a lot of beginners, you know, they just don't know about it, so they don't try it. So just go out, you know, put it down to 50% on everything and just try to fly the plane, see how you like it. And then you can bump it up or take it down less. You know that now you have, a, you have something else you can try that helps you get, keep control and not get you out of control. You know, a guy who really got me into another thing uh, that helps out beginners, and I never really thought of it for something for a beginner, Expo is definitely a tool that beginners should use. Do you agree? Or, yes. No, no, no. I, I think that uh, Expo is one of those things. Once again, depending on my airplane – I may or may not have any expo. I, I do have airplanes that have no dual rates, no expo. And honestly, I learned to sure. fly with no expo. So my stick, 
Back in the primitive days, <laughs> we, we was, just had a stick right. and a rock. Exactly. And a, and a we didn't really have a lot of that because that, that was something that came with digital radios. But the Expo is – and Expo stands for exponential. It's It's a linear function that basically if you took a line and you just drew like a 45-degree line through your stick, what it does is it calms – down, I guess what, what's the best way to use uh, the best term? I think is that it it compensates the stick movement in relationship to the actual servo and control surface. Right. So let's just say you had an aircraft and you didn't have dual rates in it, so you had a hundred percent on the on the whole stick. Right. As you said, it's linear. So as you let's say you jerk the stick to the right the aircraft is immediately going to react to that input, right? You have the fastest servos on there. It's, it's you know, a tenth of a millisecond, and it's just reacting incredibly fast. As the plane jerks to the right, of course, you jerk it to the left, and you get it oscillating because you're jerk back, jerking back and forth. The nice part about Expo is it softens the center point of your stick. So as you jerk the stick to the right, well... I like to visualize this. I think of it as a delay. So as you jerk it to the right, it may take, I'm lengthening this out, it may take uh, a couple of milliseconds for it to catch up with you. It's not really, but it's, it, just, it just slows down it's the reaction that you put in by just a little bit or softens it. You don't get that jerkiness. So now where you would normally jerk it back to the left to correct for that, well, now that input that you put in doesn't produce that instant response. It kind of softens it near the center of the stick. You'll, you'll still get that 100% out of the stick once you hit the edges of, this, of the, uh, the, the stick perimeter, you know, at that outer edge. Then you'll get that 100% and the instant responsiveness. But inside the stick, and like I said, with beginners, you know, their, their fingers are twitching and doing all sorts of things, just putting their fingers on the stick. You get no responses depending on how much expo you put into into the equation. I don't know. Does that kind of make sense or not? Well, it makes sense to me, but I, I don't know if, if if a new guy would understand that. All right. All right. Well, give it a shot, Mr. Instructor. <laughs> All right. So the stick has – let's just take the stick and pretend that it's on a graph paper. So if you took the graph paper, each each line will call, let's just say, a degree. At zero degrees is in the center. And if you move the stick one degree, two degrees, three degrees, four degrees, let's say that it'll move all the way out to the max of 10 degrees. So when you put Expo into your radio, what you're doing is you're splitting that that one-for-one movement of the servo and the stick, and you're cutting it down or increasing it. So now if I put, let's say, 20% Expo, that means for every one degree my stick moves, my servo only moves a half a degree. So now if I move it two degrees, it moves one degree. If I move it four degrees, it moves two degrees. As I go further out towards the, the, the 10 degrees or my stick all the way to the max, now my exponential is catching up. So that eventually, when I get to the farthest extension of the stick, now my servo is at its max. So if the max right. was at 100%, and you're getting one to it one will be one-to-one. Right. One. So it, it eventually it will match as I get further out, depending on what that percentage is. 
Yes, either way that you explain it or that you understand it will work, but that's in in effect what you're doing. So that way, if you're flying something that's very sensitive, like a quadcopter or a helicopter, and you put these dual rates where you're not you're not moving the control surface a hundred percent, you're only moving it fifty percent, and then you put Expo in there to basically move the the servo a half a degree to your one degree, then now you can control very sensitive movements inside this stick movement uh, in this little sacred circle, so to speak, just in the middle. So you could literally move the controls and you're you're cutting down how much that servo moves in relationship to your stick. Now you can change that to be opposite. I've actually flown that way before once and now for uh, for every one degree <laughs> for every one degree that your stick moves your servo moves two or three degrees so now it becomes this incredibly sensitive you know stick movement where you're flying around like whoa this thing is and and that's usually in the negative when you're doing negative expo you're going the opposite direction but when you're doing positive expo you're right. moving that stick movement so that it's I agree that it feels like it softens the center of the stick because if you move the center of the stick around, then you're not going to get as much response because your servo is only moving at half the percentage of your stick. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier that if you're new, you have a tendency to, to be more aggressive on the sticks. Therefore, or, or be a Yeah, That's right. When you twang, twang. <laughs> uh, which drives me nuts. But if you if you move your <laughs> stick, what we're trying to get you to do is to move your stick in a in a more precise way, as opposed to just jamming it to the left or to the right or up or down, because once you pull it back and you reach that full stop, you're at that hundred percent again. So we're trying to get you off of that stop and get you somewhere in the middle to where when you start you know, applying the stick, let's just say you're you're pulling the elevator back, when you pull the stick back. You're moving that servo five or you know three or four degrees half of the stick, so you're you're softening it up, and you have a tendency to try and stay in the middle because now the airplane doesn't seem as jerky or twitchy or super sensitive. sensitive. Or super yeah. sensitive, or yeah, exactly. Now, once you get out to that farthest stick movement, it will seem twitchy and sensitive again because now you're at the full range of controls. But if you can move back in, the airplane will fly or it will seem to you to fly a little more smoothly. Some of the 3D guys put a lot of expo. If you're hovering, I know guys that put 65, 70, 80% expo uh, on a on a 50% rate because you have a big airplane. You don't want to pull that stick back and have that airplane start moving around a lot. You want to be able to move your stick just ever so slightly and barely have those servos change because all of that motion is in the vertical plane and you don't want that's kind of a play on words right vertical plane uh it's in the <laughs> vertical vector yeah. i guess i should say and you don't want you don't want that to ooh, be moving ooh. left and right up and down with such sensitivity i want to kind of take some of that sensitivity out so hopefully hopefully that makes sense yeah, that, now, of course, that makes a lot more sense. A good example, of course, are our wings, our tough wings, are, is an example of an aircraft, or, or an immediate jet uh, is an example of something that really benefits from having Expo. The what? Right? The a turbine jet, you mean? Oh, no, yeah, any EDF, any yes. EDF. Any EDF would be good to have a little bit of Expo in there. Just because it's a sensitive airplane, it flies fast, 
and therefore you don't want to you don't want to mm-hmm. be moving your stick and having the control surfaces move at the same rate as your stick. You you want to be able to to modulate that or or have it more exponentially uh, aggressive towards the edge. Have you ever flown and sneezed like like a jet or EDF or the wing? And I sneezed? usually let go of the sticks if I sneeze. <laughs> oh, I never thought oh. to do that. So it's it, well, okay. So hey, so, you learned so something helps, new tonight so too. Look at that. <laughs> So it helps. It helps to have expo. You know, I'll just say that it helps to have expo in your aircraft, and it's and it's quite remarkable what happens when you don't have it, and you sneeze and you're holding <laughs> on to the sticks. It's yeah. the plane tends well, to okay, jump. Okay, so quite folks, a bit. if you if you feel a sneeze coming on, just lift your fingers off of the uh, off of the uh, sticks. That's easy to do. Well, that's a good that's a good safety hint. I guess we should put that in the the, the remarks and or the, the back of the, the safety show somewhere. <laughs> well, this br- this brings yet. up a good point, though, because I'm a thumb flyer. And I'm a pincher. Yeah, so I can understand. If you had your forefinger and thumb on the stick and you sneeze, I could understand how you would tense up and and letting go of it would be kind of strange. But I, I actually fly with the tips of my thumbs, and so if I feel like I'm going to sneeze, I just lift my thumb a little bit above the stick, and it, it doesn't seem to make that big of a difference to me, so... But it's it's good. I'll remember that next time. I'll try to sneeze with my fingers on it and see what happens. <laughs> I'm gonna get a phone call. I crashed my plane. You dork! I sneeze. <laughs> I sneeze. I didn't take my thumbs uh, off. I, I exactly. You tr- thought I tried to explain. Well, a uh, oh man! You make sure that you look at your radios, and then you can actually believe it or not depending on the type of radios, and we're Spectrum users. So on my Spectrum airplane, I can actually put Expo and dual rates in the same screen. So I can actually do a a higher Expo on the 70% and a lower Expo on the 100%. So I can actually mix them. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes makes for a more controllable feel, I think is the best way to, to describe it. It, fe- it feels more controllable. Right. And once again, I know, I know we keep uh, harping on uh, flight simulators, but you can try Absolutely. this stuff out in the flight sim as well. If you want to kind of get, if you want to get an idea of the, how Expo works. I mean, I know we tried to explain it to you and we're giving you all these weird explanations, but go on the flight sim, dial in hundred percent, you know, nothing on it, try to fly something, then go back and just put in like, 80% expo or, you know, just really making exaggerated numbers. And then you can actually really feel the difference it makes when you try to fly that aircraft. Right. So that would be my suggestion just to get an idea of how this stuff works. And on some radios, I, I know, I don't know how, how yours is, but on, on my radio, I can actually see that expo line. It actually draws a curve. Uh, some of these radios right. will actually I, have, I have a graph on the screen. Too. They'll yeah. actually have a line. And as you dial in the expo, you can actually see the line change. And now you'll know as you move your stick, you'll watch the stick go up that line. So you can make the line straight or you can kind of curve it or make it a curve. Uh, there's some mathematical formulas out there that you're welcome to go look. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> math. Yes, this is not a mathematics not podcast. But <laughs> if you had to go look, it's it's some algebraic <laughs> expressions that – will give you the lines and the linear, um, you know, math behind it. So uh, it's it's an XY graph and, you know, one's on the X, one's on the Y and how they change. 
but they're you know they're all over the web you can kind of go if you're into the math side of it and look at it and see what all the you know the mathematics behind it are i'm just not sounds like ak yes sounds like uh, a good job for mike to figure it all out so I think if you wanted the uh, exponential function on the form, it's uh, y equals e power times x or something. Or not. Uh, it makes me sound trying? smart anyway. It makes me sound <laughs> really smart. trying? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> come on. I went to the same college you did. I know, right? Come on. Oh, my gosh. And, and my degree, I actually went into my degree because it didn't have any math, and I didn't realize <laughs> exactly. that they only disguised the math classes as something else. I mean, it, exactly. it still had oh trig gosh. and all that other crap in it. But, oh, you're, you're you know, killing. I'm crying over they here. They just called it Aviation 101, and I thought, woo. <laughs> and I sat down. The uh, lady's like, here's your book in geometry. This is Aviation 101. <laughs> Yeah, you still got to know this, though. But, uh, exactly. Well, that's too funny. <laughs> well, anything to do to make you laugh there, Brad. Oh, thank you very much, my friend. Yeah. Well, hopefully it makes our listeners uh, laugh, too. So, Hey, so you got anything uh, coming up for uh, the next week or two? I don't. Um, I'm actually working, unfortunately. I think I have oh. some stuff coming Ooh. up. But, um, yes, the dreaded work. Hey, so got to pay uh, for my hobbies. How, well, that's true. That's true. you know our addiction. So uh, uh, sickness. How, what's the? Can you give us a countdown for your for your for your new toy? Uh, yes, actually, it is uh, late May. Ooh. So that's wow. That's about the 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 last update that they said. There hasn't been any other updates from the motion guys, but uh, we were talking about it out at the field. Uh, Larry actually came by to fly and was all depressed that he didn't get to see the maiden of my, uh, of my glider that we talked about you know, last, oh. last podcast. Yeah. But he, uh, actually was, ex- you know, excited that I got this thing. So he, he's like, can you fly it out here in the park? And I, <laughs> I told him, I was like, I can try, you know, <laughs> he goes, well, you can't fly it here cause it's on grass. And I go, ah, but they put trailing link gear and they did all this work and they were landing it. And so I shot him a couple of videos for him to watch. So I don't know if he's interested in one too, but he's, you know, definitely, um, definitely. So are are you going to run up to your park and, uh, with like orange paint and paint all the, uh, cause your park and, uh, the sprinklers, <laughs> yeah, not you, sprinkler you heads. the two have not mixed. I mean, it has done in more of your aircraft. I know. Right. So. I, okay, so I actually lucked out because during the um, the winter time, the, you ripped them all out. No, down there, I, yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> I just dug them all up. No, the the city actually came out during one of our Tuesday flyings, and they were they were going to they put that little rotisserie thing on. What do you call that when they plug it? Isn't that what they call the the grass? We don't have I don't have grass up here, but so anyway, they put this big huge thing this rotisserie thing. <laughs> it's this big drum. <laughs> it's chickens, not rich yet. Chickens on them? No, it doesn't Ooh, have chickens on it, but it, it's a big drum and it's got the spikes and they aerate the lawn. And so right. to make a long story short, they had to mark all of the, all of the sprinkler heads with flags ah. so that they didn't run over them. When we went up there, I, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to know because now I can stand I can look down the park and I know the they're all in a row. Ah, so nice. it allows me where I where I was taking off at kind of an angle. Now I know that if I take off going straight, you know, away from me, there's a there's like a, it looks like a bowling alley, you know. It's it, <laughs> right where I stand. If I just took off straight down that alley, 
uh, I won't hit any sprinkler heads. Or if I walk out to the first sprinkler head and go left to right, right now, all, now I'm standing, on the, standing line. on the right. line. So that was actually advantageous for me. And it was good that I was there during the aeration season uh, earlier in the year <laughs> so that I could see where all the sprinkler heads were. So I haven't had any sprinkler head uh, accidents in quite some time. Well, thank uh, goodness. Mainly because now I kind of know where they are. So. There was much rejoicing. Yay! Yes, and less fixing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that tonight's episode helped you understand a little bit about Expo and a little bit about dual rates, why you need them, what you should do with them. Uh, if you're new to park flying, then you know definitely test them out. I think you'll be excited to uh, to feel the difference in your in your radio and, and in the way you're flying. If you're flying a fast mover, then definitely dial the rates down and and see if it helps you out and. You know, makes the airplane feel a little more controllable. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you got any excited thing coming up or uh, anything on for my you? end? Nothing. Nothing much. Um, I'm still getting used to the area. I'm uh, looking around for some swap meets. I'm hoping they have something for this time of the year. You know, everybody's getting their gear out, so I'm, I'm hoping a swap meet might show up, so I can you know look and see what everybody has and get more junk from my house. Nothing yeah. wrong with nothing wrong with that. So nothing wrong with that. And I can trade my stuff for their stuff. Yeah. It's <laughs> just the way, you know, you know how it is with us. Uh, I do. With us modelers. Yeah. Well, if any of our listeners are out in the uh, Austin, San Antonio, New Brunswick areas, definitely reach out to us and uh, let us know when your next swap meet is. So park flyer podcast uh, host, Jay can come over there and, and buy some of your stuff. He's really good at buying stuff that needs fixing. I don't know why, but <laughs> And, and because I got a, I get a glue endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do believe you have a glue endorsement. So, oh, speaking of glue, I found a new product by Gorilla Glue. Oh, now Gorilla Glue has you know I'm I'm really excited about Gorilla Glue, and I think way back in our glue episode in season one we talked about it, but I really really like the Gorilla Glue, and I was kind of roaming around the store a couple of days ago. And I saw that they now have a contact cement by Gorilla like Glue. A, like, like a CA type? It's not a CA glue. It's more um, like your like your, oh, quick grab. Like your like quick, quick grab. Or, or, yes, oh, like your okay. quick grab. But it's, it's by uh, Gorilla Glue. And you'd be surprised at what you can use it on. You use it on rubber, paper, wood, uh, metals. And you, did, you, did you get any? I did. I, I did. I haven't used it yet. It's still in the package oh. right here, but now I got to run I know around what the we're house. We're talking right about now. next time. <laughs> More glue episodes. Well, uh, you know, for the first five minutes. Yeah, sure. Well, but anyway, so I'll let you know how that goes. But I did find the the new product. It comes in a little tube, and I'm gonna I'm excited to see uh, when I go into the, my build room how it works. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of things I need to glue, and. Uh, <laughs> Oh, and another. There's there's definitely a couple of things you need to do. <laughs> oh, and I was going to tell you too an update on our spring cleaning episode that came out just a couple of weeks ago. I took my own advice. I took a new airplane out to the park. It's uh, not a new, but it's one of the ones that I uh, have. The Foam Tana. It's an LUM product. The yes. Lee Erlinger models. I haven't flown it in a long time. I mean, almost well over a year. So anyway, it's a Depron airplane. It's you know a nice little park flyer, and it was sitting over in the corner, and I thought, oh, I should get that out and go fly with the guys. So I grabbed that and the wing and a couple other things, 
of course, I took our own advice. I hadn't flown in a while, so I realized that the uh, prop was on good. But as I did my pre-flight, I noticed that some of the Blenderm tape that used on the hinges had come loose. So I replaced that. And then I noticed, for some reason, the servo screws that screw the servo arm into the servo were loose. So I wound up tightening, tightening all of them. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how they backed out, but uh, they, they were loose. Maybe it was the last time I was working on it, I probably took one off or just put them in there because I normally on those type of airplanes, I don't have a servo screw in them. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this before, but the reason I didn't have it in there is because on that particular airplane, that was, that, uh, that was my hover trainer. And when it hit the ground, it, it was better for the servo arm to pop off. Pop off. And so I didn't I didn't put these screws in there because then the control surface popped off, not the servo head, you know, servo arm. Right. So you're saving you from not stripping the servo. Exactly. Like exactly. Gotcha. But okay. now I think, you know, that was, you know, this thing has been with me for probably eight years. I think at some point I probably put the screws back in there and just never tighten them down. So they were loose and I was able to tighten them back. So, folks, once again, if you're digging something out, make sure you do the pre-flight. And those are some of the things that I found from our spring cleaning episode talking about a new airplane well sounds great mike um, i'm looking forward to, to our next podcast as always yeah absolutely so from uh, here in the uh, arizona studio and down in the texas studio we appreciate listening to the park fire podcast and we'll see you again all right we'll see you next time all right have a good night you have been listening to the park flyer podcast thank you for joining us and we look forward to your next visit Please give our show a star rating and review, and feel free to email us your questions, topics, or suggestions to parkflyerpodcast at gmail.com. 